0: In uh, Galatians chapter six, I titled it "Strive to Become a Spiritual Christian." This came to me in a time when I was looking to the Lord when I wasn't walking in the Spirit, and this the Lord put this on my heart. And pretty much most of the book of Galatians is talking about walking as a spiritual Christian, walking in the Spirit. Chapter six kind of sums it all up after after what He tells us in chapter five. And there's several different topics in chapter 6. Walking in the Spirit is a daily process. It's a daily learning process of trials, errors, and learning to yield to the Holy Spirit, become dependent upon Him in all our ways and throughout our whole day. This seems like it goes against our human nature, and even though we constantly fail at it, we are still sanctified by the Spirit. To be sanctified is to be Simply set apart to be holy, to make ourselves available to be used by Him who sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins once for all. That's one time He died for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Our sins have been paid for by Jesus. So by that, we think we should be in the clear and we can continue in some sins that we think we like to keep around for our personal pleasure, thinking it's okay since God already forgave us. Well, it's not. Why? because even though we've already been given even though we've already been forgiven there's a higher purpose for it God wants to use us now we've accepted what Jesus has done for us on the cross and now that we've been set apart sanctified by him he paid our debt so we should absolutely now set our lives apart from the world and apart from the sin that he saved us from and in a way pay him back cuz who here would die the death that Jesus died willingly for people you don't even know. I don't think any of us would. God tells Jeremiah that we're predestined to have a purpose in our life and that our life is not our own. It's for God's purpose. Remember, he created us for his use, not him for our use. So after a life of living it up in worldly sin, it's now time to buckle down and focus on what God has created us for. So I lived in the world for 40 years apart from God and apart from His law. And I lived and accepted most things that were sinful as normal. Because there's a saying where there's no law, there's no sin. Romans 7-7 says that Paul, Paul says he would not have known sin except through the law. He would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. So you see, there needs to be a searing of the conscience convict us in our heart that sin is wrong but we do it willingly and we approve when we see others doing sinful or immoral things and chuck smith cautioned people for letting tv shows movies and things like that control their minds because he knew many christians that like to watch violent or sexual movies he says they're just as guilty by watching they're condoning it and letting it fill their minds with these thoughts Romans 2, 3, and 4 says this about it. He says, and do you think this, O man, you who judge and practice such things, and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Then he contrasts that with verse 4 by what we'll miss out on when we remain in the world. Verse 4, he says, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to Repentance. Repeat that. The goodness of God leads to repentance. Remember, it's by His grace that we come to Him. But when we make an effort to do what's right, it goes against our conscience. Especially after living in the world for for most of my life, it can sometimes be hard not to look back. And Paul deals with this himself in Romans chapter 7. If you want to turn there, I'm going to read verses 14 through 20. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. What I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then, I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. Remember back in verses 7-9 through 9, when Paul said, without the law he wouldn't have known sin. So Paul continues on verse 17 but now it is no longer i who do it but the sin that dwells in me for i know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells for to will is present with me but how to perform what is good i do not find for the good that i will to do i do not do but the evil that i will not to do that i practice now if i will want to do now if i do what i will not to do it's no longer i who do it but sin that dwells in me. And that's uh, Romans 14 to 20. You can decipher that on your own. But Paul encourages us that the Holy Spirit is there to guide us through these times. And we should allow Him to indwell in our minds, take control of our conscience, so that we listen and obey. Paul also teaches us to lift up one another as a brother that has fallen in trespasses, And spiritually try to restore him. i want to flip now to Galatians chapter 6. We'll look at verse 1. It says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And just a little reminder, the word man here is a generic term for all humankind in this context, mostly throughout the Bible, meaning either man or woman. Since that seems to be getting lost today, so I'll clarify that. <laughs> it is what it is. The word trespass in the Greek is the word periptoma, meaning to fall aside, such as a mishap. This is alluding to a temporary stumble or a bad decision that led to the wrong actions or the wrong reactions, as opposed to constant willful continuation of certain sins, knowing they're wrong. An example would be to notice you're going too fast down a hill so you slow down to the speed limit as opposed to purposely setting the cruise control to 90 in a 65 just because everyone else is doing 90. I know people who do this and they try to justify it by saying they're going with the flow. We should never be going with the flow of the world. Just because everybody else is doing it doesn't make it right or legal. Because why should we get busted for following the world, especially after Jesus has forgiven us of our sins? But it's very hard to be the only one doing right. And it's very tempting to keep up with traffic. But on Judgment Day, we will all stand alone before God. And like the judge in traffic court, he won't care what everybody else was doing, only what you have done. It won't say everybody else's name at the bottom of the ticket. It will only have your name on the bottom line. Everyone else isn't going to come to court with you and say, yeah, judge, we were all doing it, so you should let this guy go. You do the crime, you do the time. My wife used to tell the kids when they got hurt messing around, you play, you pay. They didn't like that. Sometimes I'll stay in the fast lane doing the speed limit. And I see the expressions and the actions of people that just want to get around me for some reason. It seems no matter what, they have to break the law. So no matter how pious we think we are, we all do stumble at some point. And here Paul's exhorting us, Paul's exhorting those who are spiritual to restore those who remain, who constantly have issues in their lives, constantly need reassurance from others. To be spiritual is to be faithful and knowledgeable in God's Word, and be able to use it to lift up others in their time of need, in a gentle, loving manner, being sympathetic. Sometimes we'll say something to somebody that lifts them up, and sometimes we don't even know where it came from. This is what can happen when we allow the Holy Spirit to guide our thoughts and words instead of using our own ideas, which we'll probably get from worldly influences like TV and radio which can be worldly and not spiritual. But we can also say the wrong thing and actually offend somebody or make something worse when we're not walking in the Spirit. That's why it's important to walk in the Spirit daily. I know it's hard. But God is omniscient, and He knows the situation. He knows what needs to be said, so it will get done and it will get said right when we look to Him first and allow Him to guide our thoughts and our minds. Paul also teaches to restore In verse 1, the word restore means like to reset a broken bone. Once it's healed, it can be used again. So also when a person is restored, God can use him again, like Peter. And even though he knows we will fail, God is full of mercy. Paul says to restore in a spirit of gentleness, which is one of the fruits of the Spirit listed in the previous chapter. Uh, Galatians 5, and 23, lists the fruits of the Spirit. Jesus also taught this by gently leading the woman at the well in John chapter 4 to realize that she was in fact a sinner in God's eyes. And once she realized this, she confessed it, she was restored, and Jesus was able to use her to get to the whole village in Samaria. See, Jesus had a way of gently leading a person to either Rejection or repentance. Either way, he led them to their sins. Be it the rich man, the Pharisees, or the woman at the well, they all realized their sins after their encounter with Jesus. But their reactions were quite different. The rich man went away sad, the Pharisees became angry, and the woman at the well was restored, as was, like I said, Peter in John chapter 21. And even Paul in Acts chapter 9 was restored. But Jesus is always our example. Some say that without personal failure, how can we improve? I believe it was Thomas Edison who said he didn't fail. He just found a thousand ways not to do some things. And he learned that trial and error can eventually lead to success. But only if we learn from our mistakes, improve on them, learn from our failures... And our trespasses and be perseverant. Hopefully, to be restored in gentleness will also teach us a lesson. Then Paul continues on to remind us to consider that we can also easily stumble and trespass in the same manner if we're not careful. That involves us putting on the full armor of God so that we're fully equipped to be able to restore another person. But if we let our guard down, we can just as easily stumble. And to stumble means a temporary falling away, a lack of judgment, a loss of self control. And this can usually easily lead to an outburst of anger. It's not necessarily a sin, but a blunder or a trespass that can be restored. The full armor of God is our protection, and it's our defense for all that Satan and the world can throw at us, especially either physically or spiritually. The full armor of God is listed in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14 to 18, and I'll paraphrase it. Put on the full armor of God, including the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the boots of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and most importantly, our prayers with all supplication. Keeping this equipment handy is our best way to keep from stumbling or causing others to stumble. And this can also be used to lift up others because this shows that the fruits of the Spirit are now in us. We stay equipped by reading daily what we need for the battles that we will face every day. We'll be in our text when we read in the Spirit. And this was especially helpful to me in preparing this message, was to be reading in the Spirit. See, God knows our needs and He'll satisfy them. But our desires are low on his list. Back to the text, verse 2. It says, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul has another lesson about burdens here. In verse 1, he's asking us to share in spiritual battles with our brethren. But here in verse 2, he's saying straight out, help our brethren in any manner that they need. is to fulfill the law of Christ. But what is the law of Christ? The Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself. As yourself. That's important. Do unto others as you would want done unto you. If you were stranded, wouldn't you want someone to stop and help you or give you a ride or call someone for you? Yet we often pass by others that are stranded and don't even think twice about their situation. Personally, I think they already have someone coming. But what if they don't? What if their phone is dead? Or they're physically unable to call for help? We don't know that until we find out. The story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, verses 29 to 37 is a good example of fulfilling the law of Christ. It teaches to lift up and help our fellow man, Jew or Gentile, friend or enemy, even a stranger. And this story shows that even the ones we expect to help sometimes won't. They'll just pass on by. They'll consider it a waste or a bother or a waste of their time. Because our neighbor is, just, is not just the people who live next door to us or the people in our own neighborhood. Our neighbor is anybody that God puts in our path in need of something that God knows we can provide for them no matter who they are or where they are. Remember, we're all God's people. this was one of the signs of the early church that was noticeable in the book of Acts was that they showed a genuine love for each other. Remember, they started out as a community, a communion. They shared everything until it was gone. Communism didn't work good for them. It still doesn't work now, because the rich support the poor until there are no more, until there is no more. See, the early church went broke all had to bring them money to keep supporting them and just as Jesus is there to lift us up and restore us with his word he equips us by this to minister to others as well this is why we need to read his word daily because every day there's new grace new mercies and a new message in his word for us new daily manna if you will but you have to go out and collect it daily remember yesterday's manna did not last They had to go get new manna every day, and the word is exactly the same thing. And don't forget that God gave it to us for a purpose. So find out what that purpose is and use it, because every day is a new opportunity for us to either bless someone or get blessed by someone, to fail or succeed. But either way, we should be equipped daily, even be equipped to fail. There are several different burdens. Listed in this chapter, and some are personal burdens that we cannot share, some we can share with others, some are done for others' good, and some are personal. There's two Greek words in this chapter that Paul uses for the word burden. One word is the word baros, meaning something heavy on our heart, such as a grief, a tension, or a pressure. This is a spiritual burden. Also in the Greek, the word forcion which is a physical burden, meaning a load to be borne, such as the cargo of a ship or a baby in the womb. These burdens can only be borne by the ship or by the mother. No one else can physically take these burdens. They must be born alone. But they can have helpers in other ways, such as comfort, spiritual support, or a towboat. So there are burdens that can be shared and burdens we must handle alone. But don't try putting your, all of your burdens on others because we are given the Word of God to help us in our own time, to realize our own burdens, and to get help from God's Word, as we'll see in verse 4. God says His work does not come back void, it has a purpose if we read it. Let's read verses 3 and 4. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. In other words, don't lift don't puff yourself up to be better than anyone else, because you're probably not. The NLT actually the NLT version actually says you're not that important. And further, you're only deceiving yourself, Paul says. This is selfish pride, it avails nothing. Verse four. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. See, so only you can get yourself right with God. Only you know your past, and only God knows your future plans. So don't try to judge others in their walk without worrying more about your own walk. And rejoice in the fact that you are walking in the Spirit without expecting others to rely on, without expecting or relying on others to lift you up. Verse five says, For each shall bear his own load. And that word load in the King James Version was the Baros Version of the word burden. And this seems like a contrast to verse 2, but it's a different context. To examine our own work is to examine our heart. To bear our own load is different than to bear our own burden. In this context, our load is our conscience. Are we right with God? Are we truly saved? We will all answer alone, to God on Judgment Day. There's many things we can do together as family, as friends, as Christians, as speeding down the freeway together with a bunch of people we don't even know, but we will answer to God alone. There's some other things we must do alone too. We suffer pain alone. We die alone. And we will go to the judgment seat or the Bema seat alone. In other words, we will all give account on how we lived our life with nobody else there to help us at that time. It is an individual thing. Salvation is also an individual thing we must all do alone. No one can accept our salvation for us. If a Christian says he has no sin after examining himself, he's not in the light and he is deceiving himself out of salvation. First John 1 Verses 6-10, through John says, If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we do not practice the truth, and we lie. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. And verse 10 says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. Because if we were walking in the light, we would know our sins and trespasses and we would try to fix that situation because the light reveals the sin that the darkness tries to hide. The gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 says, in him, Jesus was life and the life was the light of men and the light shined in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it in other words when you turn on a light in the room the darkness goes away instantly darkness cannot abide in light or comprehend it and sin is a heavy burden but christ is the only one that could take that burden in fact He's already taken for us on the cross. Verse 6. Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. In other words, support your pastor. The NLT uses the word provide instead of the word share. And this kind of talks about tithing. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, The elders who rule should be counted worthy of double honor especially those who labor in the word and in doctrine. Verse 18b in Timothy says, the labor is worthy of his wages. Now to teach is to communicate with others some knowledge that we may have that they don't know but could use. It's considered a labor like any other profession. It's a service. Your pastors, Pastor Joe, Pastor Tony, spend all day in the office, all week long. I think, Four days a week, something like that. Preparing three messages a week. They don't have time for other work, and that deserves compensation. The Greek word koinonia means to communicate. It's kind of like the Greek word koinonia, which is the word you guys probably have heard for the word communion. To commune is to get together and share. Either common goods or the first koinonia, the word of knowledge. The Old Testament fathers were encouraged to get together and share the words that Moses gave them. There was to share about the Passover, they were to share about the exodus from Egypt, and they were to share about the law with the younger generations. They did this a few times a year so that the knowledge would continue through this koinonia communication from generation to generation. Verse 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. <clears throat> Excuse me. In verse 7, Paul says that God is not mocked. God knows our hearts, He knows our thoughts, He knows our true intentions. And He's not fooled by our self justifications that we make in order to continue in our favorite sins. God's law is true. It's truth. There's no substitute for absolute law. There's no in between. There's either light or dark. There cannot be both. Even though there's different degrees of sin, sin is still sin and must be reconciled. If you say there's a gray area... You're obviously trying to justify a sin in your life. Because if there's gray, then that means that there's light shining on darkness. But the light will prevail every time. Just go into a cave and you'll see total darkness. And you'll see it flee as soon as the light is turned on. And so our sin, when exposed, will flee from us as well. And we can walk in the light without any heavy burden weighing us down. Because we gave it all to Jesus. Jesus. And he took it. Matthew 11.30 says, For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And I remember, I don't know how many of you read the the book Pilgrim's Progress, but it shows a picture of a Christian with this heavy, big, heavy burden on his back. And then when he finally goes on his journey, he goes through the gate, it falls off of him. And this verse reminds me of that. If you've seen those pictures or read that book, it's a great read. Then Paul reminds us that we will reap what we sow. It's a valuable warning in most cases, because what we reap in the flesh, we will sow in the flesh. If we fill our minds with filth and immoral things, that's what will come out of our heart. And our thoughts will lead to those type of evil actions. But if we're filling our minds with spiritual things, such as reading God's Word, fellowshipping, listening to good worship music, we will produce spiritual fruit and bless others. But like I said, if we fill our minds with immoral things from TV and movies that contain those kind of things, we'll produce that same kind of fruit, worldly fruit that will spoil in our minds and the minds of others. But spiritual fruit will last forever and continually bless us and others. Spiritual fruit brings everlasting life, according to verse 8. Verse 9 teaches us to be patient. Fruit does not always appear right away. Ask anybody that has a garden or plants, it takes time for, a mature, for it to mature and bear fruit or flowers. needs love and encouragement to grow and water. But it will produce patience by waiting and a joy when the fruit or the flower appears. I have cactus gardens, and most cactus gar- flowers take anywhere from a week to a month or two be- from the time they pop out of a little flower bud. To the time they actually open up. And it usually happens in the middle of the night, and I miss it. But the patience involved is worth it because they're some of the most beautiful flowers in the world when you get to see them. But they only last for maybe a day or two and they wither away. And it's too bad most people don't get to see them, because who goes around the desert at night looking for cactus flowers besides me? <laughs> I have. But Paul encourages us not to lose heart and don't give up in doing good and remain patient because we shall reap that beautiful fruit. If we're patient and we will get our reward in heaven, we can win the race if we take advantage of opportunities that God puts in our path so that we have a chance to sow and produce good fruit. And he will give us opportunities if we actually desire them. Remember, God knows our hearts. He will keep us busy if we desire to be used for Him. I have a saying in my office that, it, that I wrote that reads, we should never say we have done our share when it comes to serving the Lord. I was When I was a new usher, I was getting exhausted having to serve every service. And uh, I wrote this down one day and I did some study on it and it helped me realize that the Holy Spirit will sustain us when we're doing work for the Lord. So now with that encouragement, I can buzz around the church all day. God sustains me, and I feel great. But doing my own work, I get worn out, and I need more rest, it seems. But yes, the Holy Spirit will sustain us. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and He shall sustain you. Verse Verse 11. Verse 11. Verse 11 says, See with what large letters I've written to you with my own hand. I'm not sure why this verse is here. And there's much speculation about it. It's different in every commentary that I read about it. Some think Paul was going blind. Some think he may have dictated up to this point. Some think he was just making a point. Maybe his all caps button was stuck on. I don't know. But one version, the NLT actually capitalized every letter in the verse. And I like the NLT. It's a great cross-reference, but I don't know if they got the point right on this one here. It just seemed odd. Chuck Smith says, if you don't understand a verse, to leave it alone and move on. So uh, we'll move on to verse 12 and 13. (laughs) As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. Here I believe Paul is speaking about the Pharisees. It's kind of obvious. Because they thought themselves to be more righteous by making others adhere to the law. The same laws that Jesus exposed them of breaking. See, every man wants to see the other guy get busted. In fact, we glory in seeing people get busted for speeding or something like that, but we do the same and we don't expect to get busted. The Pharisees thought was rules for thee, but not for me. And that seems a popular phrase today as well. I believe that legalism in itself is a hypocrisy because no man can keep the whole law. So how can man judge another for missing the mark? Pastor Tony constantly reminds us that we all miss the mark of perfection. That one time or another, we'll all need to be lifted up and have somebody share our burden and spiritually restore us. And so we should be able to do that to others as well. See, man does not like to give grace to others, but he's always willing to accept it. So don't be a hypocrite by trying to hold others to the law, which you can't keep yourselves, because no man can keep the whole law. The Ten Commandments prove that to us. Only Jesus fulfilled the whole law. Verse 14 and 15. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Paul is saying not to be like the Pharisees, boasting and telling others to do good, but not living to the same standards themselves, but only to boast in the cross and what it's done for me in my life. The cross is something we can gladly boast about. It's an offer of salvation to all, for all, because it's a payment of our sins and for all the sins of mankind, from Adam to now and until Jesus returns. All of our sins have been paid for when Jesus died And shed his blood on that cross. That is worth boasting about. The cross is also what crucifies us from the world. So that we no longer need to live like it. Even though we still need to live in it. Verse 15 says. For in Christ Jesus. Neither circumcision. Nor uncircumcision. Avails to nothing but a new creation. In other words. Circumcised or not. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. So, our past is now irrelevant in God's eyes. He's forgiven us and He's cast our sins away. We have a new start, a new beginning. The fact that we're now changed from it is what's important. It's also our witness. This shows that we have allowed the Holy Spirit to indwell in us and to change our hearts. And given us a new, a new chance at life. A new, a new heart. Paul says in Second Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And this new heart is attained only by our faith in Jesus. And the fact that he has reconciled us to him. Because only by grace through faith are we saved. That's a gift that we should not boast in paraphrase from Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 verse 16 as we come to a close verse 16 says and as many as walk according to this rule peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God or the NLT version says the new people of God remember God created Israel as a new people they weren't there before God brought Abraham up and made a whole people out of him that became the nation of Israel. And just as God made that person a nation from one person, when we come to him, we're a new person as well. We're a new creation from God that wasn't there before. Verse 7 <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 17 says, "From now on, let no one trouble me for I bear in my body the marks of our Lord Jesus." See, Paul had scars from beatings and from whippings. He was even stoned and left for dead. And this was all after he had come to the Lord. As a Pharisee, Paul didn't live under this kind of persecution. But when we serve Jesus, he tells us to expect persecution. He says, if they hated you, it's because they first hated me. Jesus said that in Matthew 10.22, Mark 13.13. Luke 21:17 and John 15:16. All four gospels Jesus mentions to his disciples that the world will hate them and persecute them because they first hated him, Jesus. So I had a serious accident right after I came to the Lord, maybe a month or two after I came to the Lord. And I believe that that was God calling after he called me, that he marked me as his. And I also learned what to be persecuted meant because I had to sit down. I was, like I said, I was in rehab for a year, and that gave me time to read my Bible. I read it through from Genesis to Revelation. It brought me closer to God instead of pushing me away. And it's a constant reminder that what God gives, God can also take away in an instant. Job one twenty one became one of my favorite quotes the first time I read my Bible through all the way while I was recovering it says the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away so I take nothing for granted and I also noticed in that verse that it was written in past tense Job was considered the first book of the Bible and this was already written in past tense the word says the Lord gave and the Lord has taken taken in past tense God wrote this beforehand before my life was born before any of us were here God already knew What was going to happen to me on that day? Because. Yeah. Verse 18 is self-explanatory. It says, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Peace to those who allow the Holy Spirit to change them as they now continue to walk in the spirit in their daily lives there was a lot in this chapter so in conclusion I put together 10 quick points as to what to walk in the spirit means number one means to be sanctified to be set apart, cleansed number two means to be available, be always ready for what God will have for you that day number three is to be prepared for that day read up daily number four is to be faithful in all things Number five is to be gentle, able to restore in in gentleness, in a loving manner. Number six is to be protected, to defend yourselves, put on your armor of God daily. Number seven, I put to be patient in all things. Number eight, I put to be a new creation and show it in the way you live your life. Number nine, be spiritually fruitful. That will show to others. Number 10, I put to boast only in the cross. Amen? Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your awesome works, Lord, all that you've done in our lives, Lord. We thank you for your gift of salvation to us. And we thank you for this Bible, Lord, that teaches us how to walk in the Spirit and how to follow your ways, Lord. Please continue to bless everyone here, Lord. Fill us with your Spirit. Continue to guide us. Guide us in our prayers in our daily life. Guide us in our reading, Lord. We ask that you just be before us and guide our path, Lord. want to pray for the offering, Lord, that you bless it, and that like Pastor Joe always says, Lord, when we give to the Lord with a with a willing heart, we don't miss it, or or it doesn't affect our lives, Lord. It gets returned to us in other ways. I've seen that personally, Lord, and we thank you for all that you do. We pray that the church uses the money wisely for the needs of the body, Lord. I pray if there are any needs in the body that need to be lifted up spiritually, any health issues, Lord, that you know them needs, Lord, and that you continue to touch the people that are hurting are in pain we've had some people that have had some surgeries and that are recovering this week lord i pray for them people you know all the needs of your body lord so continue to bless us continue to go before us lord as we finish our day today lord we love you we thank you in jesus name amen